0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News on a very, very busy day in Washington, D.C. Lots of headlines. First, the fourth day of Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson's nomination hearing for the United States Supreme Court, continued discussion about her record, her credentials, her philosophy. But a big bombshell dropped just a short while ago. Former President Donald Trump, yes, the 45th president of America, he sued, guess who? Hillary Clinton, that's right, accusing her of unlawfully meddling in his campaign, maligning the reputation of the campaign, using false and fraudulent information. A major lawsuit, a major political repercussion for the Hillary Clinton campaign. The president's been threatening to do this for some time. President Trump has. Now he has done it. That is a bombshell. We're going to have a lot more about that tonight on our TV show, Just the News, Not Noise, with myself and Amanda Head. I believe Liz Harrington will be joining us, but that news just broke a few minutes ago. So many other breaking news. If you've been following the justthenews.com website today, you've seen it all. So much breaking around town. It's almost hard to keep up on that. A lot of Twitter purges going on, continued efforts at silencing voices conservative voices particularly that is a big deal the duck dynasty stars if you're looking for a little light fear guess what duck dynasty stars are going back to television on fox nation that's kind of cool we're gonna have a new show the doj well they're trying to make it easier for the asylum process for illegal immigrants to get decisions quicker that's a big deal as well and if you continue to doubt that the FBI has problems with political persuasion, something it shouldn't allow to enter into its ecosphere. The FBI field office in L.A. had to retract an invitation it sent out because it was going to have a celebration of the fact that Kintanji Brown-Jackson had been nominated to the Supreme Court, a clear partisan activity. It had to cancel and rescind and apologize, but it's further proof that inside the walls and halls of the hallowed FBI Politics continues to eke in in places, bias continues to eke in in places, and also continued incompetence continues to eke into places not good for America, not good for the great lawmen and lawwomen of the FBI. It is time to really have a significant conversation about that, and we will. All right, we've got a great show today. First up, one of the senators sitting in judgment of Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson, Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee. She's gonna be here to give us her impressions of the two full, and I mean full, very full days of testimony by Judge Jackson before the Senate Judiciary Committee. She'll give us the latest on the thinking of senators, where Republicans are, what she learned, what she didn't answer. I think at the end of the day, when history looks back, this set of hearings will almost certainly be remembered As the hearings were, a judge repeatedly refused to answer questions like, what is a woman? When does life begin? Do you believe in critical race theory? There were just some remarkable non-answers to very important and pointed questions. And I think that's a key thing for us to consider as we look out over this extraordinary few days. All right, folks, we're going to get to that interview because after, by the way, after Senator Marsha Blackburn, we've got another great guest, Kerry Severino, the head of the Judicial Crisis Network, somebody who has worked on many of the most historic Supreme Court nominations in recent history, an expert. She's going to tell us how this hearing, how this vetting process for Judge Jackson compares to some of the others in history, like Clarence Thomas, like... Brent Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett, many others like it. Judge Bork, that was a big one. So we're going to get a good history lesson. We're going to take our conversation with Carrie Severino from our show off of Just the News, Not Noise and uh, play it here. You're going to enjoy the interview, the insights. Carrie is one of the smartest, most engaged people when it comes to judicial nominations. She knows the book inside and out. So two great interviews Senator Marshall Blackburn followed by Kerry Severino, but I want to turn for just one second. It's not that often, but I treasure it every time it happens that I get to work with my great co-author on the book Fallout. Seamus Bruner, he works at the Government Accountability Institute there with Peter Schweitzer. I love the whole team there, Peter Boyer, Peter Schweitzer, Seamus Bruner. They are some of the best investigators, researchers, reporters, journalists, writers you'll ever find. And every so often we just get a chance to collaborate, right? We get a chance, we go, what what a great opportunity. And one of those chances occurred overnight. Seamus and I wrote together a story called Uranium, Oil and Technology how Russia got stronger as the Bidens and Clintons got richer. And this story has a lot of detail. It's not a cliff note read. It's going to take you 5, 10, 20 minutes to read it. But if you want to understand how political corruption can lead to warfare, can lead to war in the world, read this story. Why do I say that? Well, because the truth of the matter is over a 10 or 12-year period the United States through democratic policies on democratic president's watches. And when I'm saying that, I mean, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, Joe Biden as Vice President, then Vice President Joe Biden becoming president, they empowered Putin's war machine. And, and I wanna just remind you of something. I, I, if you remember the early days of the war, right, right as the president was giving his State of the Union speech as the war was beginning, Joe Biden said he was ready to, quote, seize the, quote, ill-begotten gains of Russia and Ukraine's oligarchs, the wealthy business people that adhere to the corrupt systems that are in, or that dominate Russia and Ukraine. And that's kind of funny, the ill-begotten gains that he was seizing, because quite frankly, Democrats have been seizing some of those gains for a long time. And the truth of the matter is, in the years before Moscow twice invaded Ukraine, Democrats enriched themselves politically and personally. The Clinton Foundation, Hunter Biden's companies, a company that John Podesta sat on the board of, Bill Clinton's personal wallet, the $500,000 check from Moscow, so many more. They got rich during a thing called the Russian reboot, the Russian reset, whatever you want to call it, a promise by the Obama team, Obama-Clinton-Biden team, that they were going to reset the relations and, and find a peaceful path forward with Russia and really what it was was a policy appeasement. They got rich, the Democrat elitists got a lot of cash, got a lot of gifts, a lot of benefits and Moscow got enormous tens of billions of dollars of benefits from the United States, even though it wasn't a very good actor. Remember this reset begins shortly after Russia invaded another country, Georgia, the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. Not the one that Brad Rapsenberger and Brian Kemp come from. Uh, That's the state of Georgia in the United States. But the Soviet, old Soviet Republic of Georgia. It had just been invaded by Russia when Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, and Barack Obama thought it was a good idea to start rewarding Russia. And what did we give them? And, you know, this is some of this we covered in our book, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and the Washington Lies. But Putin's spoils were measured in billions, actually tens of billions of dollars in uranium contracts with U.S. utilities and vastly expanded oil imports in the transfer of sensitive technologies, in the waiver of some prior restrictions on them. And how dependent did Vladimir Putin make America during this period before he became a bad guy again? He never really stopped being a bad guy, but he played the role of a good guy for a while. Well, if you looked at the recent sanctions that Joe Biden placed on Vladimir Putin, remember many of them were belated. Uh, Joe Biden had to be jawboned into going, but one of the things he could not put sanctions on was Russian uranium. Why is it? Because American utilities, the Exelons of the world, the Duke Energies of the world, they have five, 10, 20 year commitments to buy Russia uranium, Russia's uranium, the thing that powers nuclear reactors. And as a result, our uranium mining, our uranium business in the United States have essentially gone dark. We don't have a solution if we don't have uranium from Russia. Vladimir Putin had our utilities, well, by the uraniums, as I would say it. And that is a direct result of the policy of appeasement that Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama gave us. And while they were getting the elitists in the administrations, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, Hunter Biden, as we mentioned, the Obama Foundation, which one of its biggest donors was one of the utilities that got to buy that Russian uranium, Putin was preparing his war machine. These tens of billions of dollars infused his economy, not only made America perilously dependent on Russia, but they also gave Russia the cash to revive its military, albeit it's still not performing that well against the Ukrainians, but it it revived it. Well, that is a direct result of the policy of impeachment, the policy of political corruption that occurred on the Obama-Biden-Clinton watch. And there are many great details in this story, but there are consequences to political corruption. There are. And one of them in this case turns out to be war. A very powerful story. So glad I could work with Seamus Byrne around this. A lot of details, a lot of links. You don't have to take our word for anything. It's all very carefully document it. You just click on the digging tool. You'll see everything that backs up our reporting. All right, folks, we take a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Senator Marshall Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee, followed by our exclusive interview with Kerry Severino on Just the News, Not Noise last night. We're going to give you the audio version of that. Two great guests. So glad you can join us. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. We're going to be right back. Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code justnews for your discount. That's promo code justnews at fieldofgreens.com. fieldofgreens.com promo code justnews. Go check it out.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, "What's your secret?"
0: All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. We are so lucky at this moment to be joined by one of the senators who's been on the front lines of questioning Judge Jackson at the Supreme Court nomination hearings. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Senator, great to have you here today.
2: It is good to be with you. Thank you so much.
0: You had some big questions that got yes. no answer whatsoever. You asked Judge Jackson, could she define a woman? Couldn't do it. You asked her, when she uh, could she define when life began? She couldn't do it. Your reaction to her inability to answer questions like that.
2: I, I thought it was really quite stunning. And the fact that as I was talking with her about parental rights, and the, the opportunity parents want to educate their children like they want to have them educated, whether they're from the left or the right, and this CRT, which focuses everything through a very narrow funnel. And the fact that this woke kindergarten teaches children as young as five years old to choose their gender. And so then what I did when she, you know, we couldn't get a straight answer out of, out of her on that. So then I went to the VMI decision, which Ginsburg had written the opinion in that, and she had said, when talking about a single-sex school, there are inherent differences, enduring differences, between male and female, man and woman. I asked Judge Jackson if she agreed with Justice Ginsburg in that writing. Couldn't really get an answer. So then I said, well, give me the definition of woman. And she said, I can't. I said, you mean it is so controversial that you can't give me a definition of woman? She said, I'm not a biologist. So I moved on and talked about the NCAA uh, swimming competition last week where you had Leah Thomas, a biological male, competing with biological females. And the message this sends, when you allow a biological man to compete with a biological female, it says to our young girls and young women that their voices don't matter. They're being treated like a second-class citizen. And you know what, John? Parents want a Supreme Court justice who is going to be able to rule on Title Seven, Title Nine, who is going to be able to defend the rights of every American, male or female, and they want somebody who is going to be there to protect the individual. And I, I was really quite stunned that she was not able to give me more concrete air- answers, and like you said, with life, Uh, She really waffled on that. I even came back to her in our second day of questioning and asked her about her understanding of Roe v. Wade and people feeling that they had a right to an abortion and were pushing that toward the right to an effective abortion, abortion. Thereby, if the child survived the abortion, that then they could make the determination whether to terminate the life of that child. And this is an area of uh, looking at protecting those rights of the unborn and of those babies when they survive those botched abortions. So uh, she said, oh, well, I can't talk about that. Well, of course, she should have been able to talk about if she believes in life or not.
0: Yeah, those are stunning moments, and a lot of people have been talking about them. Based on everything you've seen, you heard from her, you did a lot of the vetting of the records, brought out the critical race theory speech she gave in 2015. Do you think Judge Jackson is qualified for the bench? Would you vote for her to be a Supreme Court nominee? I,
2: I have serious concerns, and you mentioned her 2015 speech. She was talking about what you use in decision-making and in sentencing. And she said, you know, you have constitutional law, administrative law. Uh, she noted a couple of other things she said. And then she included critical race theory. So that would indicate a bias that she has brought into her decision-making process. And what? when I talk to Tennesseans, they want equal access to the courts, they want equal justice for all, and they don't want to be before a jurist who is going to be biased in the way they look at the application of the law.
0: Yeah. When you look at her, did you see a jurist or did you see someone that kind of wanted to be a legislator in a judge's robe?
2: You know, the activism did come up, and we talked about that in her sentencing practices. For hardened criminals, she wanted to release all the detainees, all 1,561 that were held in federal prison. She lamented that she was not able to release them all, but she did release a, um, a murderer who had murdered a U.S. Marshal. She released a bank robber addicted to heroin. She released a fentanyl drug dealer all three of them on compassionate release. She also has that record of being soft on child exploitation cases, going below, about five years below the minimum, not the maximum, but the minimum. That's an important distinction.
0: Yeah, no, and you drew that out as the Senator Holly's and her crew is very important yes. distinctions in real cases where she's ruled, not I, hypotheticals. When you look at her record, what's the thing that most troubles you? We've got a couple of minutes left. I want to see what what when you summarize her record, what most troubles you?
2: One of the things that had troubled me when she was on the district court, the number of times that she was overruled by the circuit bench, even sometimes as on the immigration law that Congress had said was unreviewable, and she did it anyway. It shows that she is going to push the boundaries farther to the left. She clearly comes out of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And what we need are judges that are going to be well-tempered on the court. And that are going to be able to look at each issue from a constitutional basis. You notice she would never give us her opinion on court packing, nor would she give us her judicial philosophy
0: pretty remarkable. It was really, really dramatic. And there were many opportunities. It wasn't a missed, Well, like she didn't hear you. It was asked many yeah. times. I want to flip just quickly because there's a sudden realization by Democrats that the gas prices are too high and it's a political headache for them. Yeah. What they've been trying to do is reduce uh, state taxes, gasoline taxes temporarily to give people relief. But you had a really important tweet this morning. Say that's the wrong approach. We should get to the core source of why gas prices are high. Talk a little bit about why you're concerned about what Democrats are doing.
2: Absolutely. You know, if you want to reduce the 18.4 cents of tax and the subsequent state taxes that go anywhere from four to about 15 cents a gallon, of course, that's a little tiny bit. But if you really want to get the price of gas back down to $2 a gallon, you need to do a few things. Operation Warp Speed for Energy, which means restarting the Keystone Pipeline. It would have been finished by the end of 22 if Biden had not Amazing. halted construction. Then allow drilling in Anwar on federal lands. Restart leases and approve these drilling permits, which they are slow-walking. So, these are the things that will get the price down. As we've said for years, and all of the above energy strategy, where you're looking at everything, that is what we need. And this administration, climate change is their God, and it is their holy grail of religion. And they don't want anything to do with gas or no. oil. And because sure don't. of that, people can't afford to go fill up at the pump.
0: Yeah, it's just an amazing dynamic. Senator, we're so appreciative for the time today and all we learned from you and all that we learned from the hearings through your questioning. Hope to have you on soon again.
2: Thank you so much.
0: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. titlelock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. Visit AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news to become a four year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over two million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMACAMAC.us slash just news. That's amacus forward slash just news.
3: Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, Senate confirmation hearings for President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown Jackson. And here to give us the latest on this is Judicial Crisis Network president and co-author of the book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court, Carrie Severino. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. There have been some interesting answers today uh, and some quotes that have come out today in particular, but over the course of these three days. And we've got a clip that I want to show you and get your reaction on the other side.
2: When does life begin, in your opinion? Uh,
1: Senator, um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am? I don't know.
2: Uh, Can you provide a definition for the word woman. Can I provide a definition? Uh No. Yeah. I can't. You can't
0: Mm,
3: not in this context. I'm not a biologist. (laughs) I feel like if she was being really honest, she would have followed up. I can't with unless I want to get attacked by the woke mob. But Carrie, what are what are your thoughts about these these answer non answers that she's been giving today?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that's a real theme we have seen. And, you know, it's always an issue where in a Supreme Court confirmation process, there are issues they can't talk about for ethics reasons. They can't say how they would rule in future cases, which is, of course, what we all want to know the most. But this was really exceptional to see the pattern that she's had. So she doesn't you know, she doesn't know where life begins. She doesn't know what a woman is, but she she really does. Because then later today, she said to Senator Cruz, I believe, I I know that I'm a woman and Senator Blackburn's a woman. My mother's a woman. So she knows the actual answer to some of these things, but she's unwilling to say, and I think I think you put your finger on it, she knows that she's going to get attacked for saying certain things. And when talking about her judicial philosophy, that has come up in spades. She keeps on saying, I don't really have a judicial philosophy. And then later she says, I do have a philosophy, but it's it's looking at the original meaning in text, but it's not an originalism or a textualism. She's trying to say things that will make every side happy. Um, but at the end of the day, You know, that she's she's kind of just sounds like she's saying what she what people want to hear and uh, not really willing to actually engage on some of the tough questions um, because she doesn't want to be held accountable for that. I understand the motivation for that, but that's not uh, what we need to hear when you're under oath in a Supreme Court hearing. And these senators are going to have to make a decision on how to vote on a nominee. And if it's a nominee who's singularly unforthcoming and not willing to share her actual positions on things, I don't see how they could vote in her favor
0: yeah and what a contrast to the uh, amy coney barrett uh, confirmation here just a couple of years ago where substance and answers were plentiful there was nothing that she didn't try to answer and give senators her best answer it's a really remarkable moment i want to take you to one issue that really struck me in the, and it was early on it's, it started in her judicial questionnaire uh she had, gives a speech to law students saying critical race theory needs to be welded in or melded into uh sentencing and then tells uh, I believe it was Ted Cruz. Oh, that doesn't come up as a judge. And uh, the double speaks obvious. But the mere idea that critical race theory might be involved in sentencing, did that strike you in any way?
1: Oh, well, you know, she acknowledged through the course of these discussions that actually she does bring her policy into sentencing. And, um, you know, there, there is some wiggle room for that in terms of the way a, um, a judge has flexibility on sentencing, that they do have some discretion. But, you know, the question is, on what grounds was she really exercising that discretion? And was it, again, was it wasn't informed by things like CRT, was it informed by other uh, biases she has about which crimes are more significant than others or what makes them more significant? And I think that's the concern, is that that she um, she does have areas in which she has brought policy into her judging. And yet, when she's talked to the senators, she refuses to actually say for the most part what what those policies are. If it's a legal question they're asking her, she says, "I can't answer that because it's a topic that could come before the court. And if it's a policy question they're answering her, she says, "Well, policy doesn't involve in the belong in the courtroom, so I can't answer that." So it leaves us with um, with absolutely nothing <laughs> to go on and, uh, and that's that can be very uh, discouraging.
3: Yeah. Carrie, there are a lot of aspersions that you can cast at Congress that apply to both Republicans and Democrats. But I think that there is a difference between the way Republicans are handling this confirmation hearing and the way that they handled Brett Kavanaugh. So my question to you is, if Republicans had given Ketanji Brown-Jackson the Kavanaugh treatment, how do you think Democrats would have reacted?
1: Well, first of all, I'm grateful that Republicans have never and and I think I, I hope never will give a nominee the treatment that Brett Kavanaugh endured. This is not not ever going to be a uh, a circus with with smear campaigns, etc. And uh, despite the fact that that Judge Jackson testified today that she actually didn't even watch the the, the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, uh, most of America did, and we saw th- how disgraceful that was. Um, obviously, Democrats would have would have absolutely gone wild because. Um, because that would have been an, an atrocious thing to do, and they're already going wild over simply asking Judge Jackson difficult questions. You know, Senator Durbin apologized this morning for all that this this process has put you and your family through, and the bizarre conspiracy theory claims. that Going, wait a minute, where? What bizarre theories? No one's claimed that she raped someone on a boat in Rhode Island. That she, you know, like that she was a serial rapist. That this, that, or the other thing. No, none of that happened. We're talking about people who are actually investigating her record in nine years on the federal bench. Those are legitimate questions. And even when she's been asked qu- legitimate questions about actual areas of law, which I will remind you all, you know, Justices Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Justice Barrett, but also people like Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor were, were willing to answer. You can discuss these areas of law. And she she has dodged all of those questions. So we didn't see handmaids and we didn't see uh, protesters today. And I'm very grateful of that. But we're seeing people trying to turn serious questions and discussion over on on the relevant qualifications of a judge into, um, and pretending that that's somehow equivalent to what happened in the Brett Kavanaugh process. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone could go back and relook at those hearings and then be reminded of the distinction.
0: Carrie, we only got about 15 seconds left. Did you see a jurist or a legislator in that witness chair today?
1: (laughs) I saw someone trying to dodge every question they could find. I think, uh, you know, I I don't, I don't think that's necessarily judicial behavior. You have to make decisions as a judge.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Carrie. We always appreciate your insights and all the work you do to vet our judges' injustices. It's such a great honor to have you on today. Thanks. Have a great day. You as well. All right, folks. We take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Thanks for joining. We hope you enjoyed today's show. I sure did. we got a lot of great guests, a lot of great things. One thing to just keep in mind, the IRA group at Alto, Alto IRA, they allow you to get into this cryptocurrency game. Ethereum, Bitcoin, you know, all the different cryptocurrencies. I think there's about 80 of them. If you're worried about your pension, your IRA, your 401k, because the stock market looks a little uneasy right now, well, guess what? You can go to Alto IRA and begin to take your investments to the next level, meaning cryptocurrency. Diversify like the pros, trade without tax headaches. All you have to do to open up an Alto crypto account is to go to altoira.com. A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash Just News. You know how to use the slash Just News. We give it to you all the time. These are great partners. We're so glad to have them. Check it out. If you're just wondering even what a cryptocurrency is, what a Bitcoin is, what an Ethereum is, these guys have it all and they'll get you started. It takes as little as $10. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty small investment. It's like a hamburger nowadays. So go check out my good friends, our partners here at Just the News. John Solomon reports. Alto, A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash Just News Get started today with a new way to invest your money. All right, folks, check out our show tonight. Like I said, we're going to have Liz Harrington on, as well as Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz. It's a great show. We'll be talking about that Donald Trump lawsuit against Hillary Clinton for sure today. We'll also have comedian Michael Loftus on. We'll have a few laughs. Hope you're enjoying it. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports podcast from Just the News. God bless and good night.